We began a series last week called, Why Am I Here? So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, If you use your phone or iPad, uh, turn also to Romans chapter 12. I promise you we will get to these verses. And we are in a series discussing um, the reality of why we're here. Last week, we talked about our Christian calling, our Christian calling. And we learned that if you become your call, you will do well in doing. And it's about becoming what God called you to be. This week, we're going to discuss what it means, excuse me, to have a committed calling. What does that mean? And we'll talk about that also. In other words, what do I commit my life to do? All right, always remember, it's the becoming that's most important. But then from that, that's how you succeed in your doing. All of us in this house are called to ministry. Now, when I say we're called to ministry, we're not talking about vocational ministry, but ministry. And I'll explain that in a few moments. All of us have been given gifts, and to each one, our gifts differ. That's why we're different than each other. But in understanding calling and being committed, that we work together well in unity. So we all have something God is calling us to do in the kingdom of God. So always know that, that you are important. Isn't it something, as I I stand here and and went around hugging some of you, I haven't seen some of you, you live so far away, and I saw you and just like my life today was a great day because I saw you and hugged you. But isn't it something so unique to be together in the presence of God? There's nothing like that. It's unique, and it's very special. And that's what happens, that unity, that honor, that love that we have for one another is amazing. I I could just could imagine the, the, the pride that was in some of you parents and grandparents as the students stood up here, and how great it is because we've all been there. So let me remind you again, we all have ministry. Now, I would like you just to look around now um, to really notice that. Notice the people around you. Think, just do that. Go ahead and look around. <clears throat> Think about all the families that are involved in the people that you're looking at. Think about all the friends that they have, all the coworkers they work with, and all the people they will ever meet, or we will ever meet. Just so that you may know, I can't win all those people to Jesus. It's an impossibility for me to touch everybody that you know. So in the ministry, we must understand, as we understand our calling and our commitment to our call, but all of us can reach everybody we're in contact with. We can show them. We can be the light. We can show them 
Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, my job is to pastor you and to equip you to do the ministry. Where I go from the club, you know, uh, working out, wherever I go, I'm always wanting to be that light also. I'm wanting to show people Christ, who is the light. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, I want you to understand, uh, as we're talking about calling, where I come from and why I function the way I do. It says this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So my call is to equip you. So the question then, or questions would be, what is your ministry, and how do you know what your ministry is? How do you know? But before I get to how you know, and I have three points for you, I just want to show you this. Did you know that most of the great men and women that you read about in the Bible were not in vocational ministry? What is vocational ministry? What does that mean? It means that your occupation or employment is ministry. All right? Abraham, in Genesis 13, 2, says Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. By that, saying that, we know he wasn't a preacher. But he had a business. <clears throat> Isaac, Genesis 26. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. This wasn't talking about giving. Isaac was sowing crops, sowing seed. Isaac was a farmer. Gideon in the Bible was threshing wheat when the Lord called him. David was a shepherd. Amos 1.1 says, the words of Amos, who was among the, one translation says sheep breeders, or basically he was a shepherd. In Nehemiah, says, for I was the king's cupbearer. In other words, Nehemiah, Nehemiah worked in the government and took care of the king. Matthew was an IRS agent, which shows God can use anyone. <laughs> Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen. Mark 1. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him, Jesus. Hired servants, they were employees, so they had a business. Paul, the greatest apostle, uh, Acts 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Then he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. So the greatest apostle that ever lived was a tent maker. Colossians 4. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So Luke was a doctor. And remember Rahab was a working girl. 
I'm sorry, obviously she repented. But here's a good question. As you read about the story, why did the spies who went to Jericho stay in the house of a harlot? In that day, she actually was a shopkeeper and an innkeeper after her repentance. She hid them under flax. Now, flax in the day was used to make linen, and they were drying up on the top in bags or containers, and they hid underneath that. She let them down on a scarlet cord, which was to sell. So she was in business. All these people in the Bible, I want to tell you, didn't have a job like I have. They have a job like you have. So let me make this statement to you, and I want you to really hear this. With honor and integrity, I want you to hear this. They were the ones who did the great things in the Bible, the people who had occupations like you. In today's day, we find a lot of people are always waiting for the pastor or someone who has an occupation of ministry to do the work of the ministry, and that's not how it works in the callings of God. We are to equip you. Now, another question is, so how do you find out what your committed calling is, and how, to, how do you commit to the calling? How do you do that? What words can we use? What descriptions can we use to get us through the understanding of the simplicity of the steps that we need to take to be committed to our call, that we're not jumping around, you know, from job to job, from church to church, from from spouse to spouse, from home to home, that there's a good stewarding, as we've been talking about, of life, that there's a good stewarding of our life Here's the first thing that I want you to understand. Draw near to God. If you are going to be committed to your call and not flippant with your call when something bad happens that you run or you try to change because of emotions and hurt, that you draw near to God. The man named Asap, not A-S-A-P, the name Asap, Psalm 73, 28 He wrote this, it says, it is good for me to draw near to God. It's a good thing. If there's anything you need to remember of this message today, it's a good thing to draw near to God in every area of your life. But what if we don't feel like drawing near? You ever had that? You woke up in the morning and just didn't feel right, pressure of the day is coming. What if you had that? bad day. You had a bad week. How about a bad year? Or how about some of us may be listening and looking at the TV. Maybe you've had a bad life. Maybe things have happened so bad that you don't know how to get out of your pit. Let me help you today to understand that you are so vital to the kingdom of God and to the Lord himself. You are special to him. Hebrews 7 says this, for the law made nothing perfect. In other words, the doing and this is how you do things. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a 
better hope through which we draw near to God. It changes everything when you get near to God, when you do those things. We can draw near even if things are bad because why? We come to God by grace. We don't come to God, oh God, you know everything that I've done wrong and everything that's happened in my life and all the things I think wrong and, and I, I, I've come to you and asked for forgiveness and I do the same thing. We can come to God in grace. God loves you. No matter where you're at, no matter what people have done to you, no matter if you've been bullied, no matter if the molestation has taken place, whatever evil has become you, God is ready to give you a hug. Hebrews 10.22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. God has washed you. Don't ever think, don't ever think that you're not good enough yeah, you're not clean enough to get to God because he's washed you in the blood of Jesus Christ when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord or when you sin, you come before him, 1 John 1, 9, and you confess your sins. He made you clean, so draw near to him, your committed call. The other week, I was power washing my patio and by the time I was done, I was doing some other work, and I was sweaty, I was wet, I had mud all over me. I took off my shoes, wiped my feet, I walked in the home, and Terry was just finished doing some stuff in the kitchen, and she sat down, and I said, honey, can you just give me a hug? <laughs> and, you know, she gave me with those beautiful blue eyes that look that said, you take a shower before I, can, I will even think of hugging you, right, right? See, God's given you a shower. You're clean through the grace of God. You can draw near to God. There's never a time that you can't draw near to God because it's through grace, not through your works. So another question, what if you are in bondage or strongholds got a hold of you. You just can't seem to be set free. This worry, this pain, this struggle that you're having, you told God you'd never do it again, and you do, and you do it, and you do it, and you do it. What, the, what about the man of Gadara? Remember that story? The Bible says he was demon-possessed. He was running around naked in a cemetery, and he was bound. He'd break the chains. Mark 5, 6 uh, describes this. It says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. In other words, he drew near. He was demon-possessed. Another question. What about if you're grieving or having a tough time or even sad or you're mad at God? Anybody ever been mad at God? Okay, you're perfect. I've been mad at God. Because he didn't show up when we thought he should. He was there. That was a deception of the enemy. Remember Mary and Martha? 
after the death, death of Lazarus. In John eleven twenty, 20, it says, Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. She drew near. Verse 28 of the, of the, of the same chapter. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. She drew near even when she was mad at Jesus because he didn't show up on time according to her thinking. What if you feel like the world has come to an end with all the chaos that's going on in our world today? School shootings. What if you feel like the world has come to an end, there's no answer, and you're thinking, God, where are you? You've lost your hope. You have no hope. After the death of Jesus, Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm done with this. I'm just going back to what I know to do. Jesus comes and is walking along the shore. But, you know, the story, they didn't recognize Jesus, that it was him. And he said, cast your net on the other side and catch a bunch of fish. And in John 21, 7, watch what it says. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, speaking of John, because he wrote it, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. Peter drew near to God. He didn't wait for the boat to get in. He didn't wait for the answer to manifest. He dove in to the water and swam ashore to get there to draw near to God. What about if you've been away from the Lord for a long time? What if you're listening and, and someone told you to watch, watch Valley Community Church because of the great worship? And you're sitting there and you said, you know, I haven't gone to church for a long time. I don't even know if I believe in this. Remember the prodigal son, church? Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. He drew near. He arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's the heart of God. God wants to fall on your neck and kiss you. He wants to hug you where you're at, not where you think you need to be where you're at. See, I'm trying to tell you it is always a good time to draw near to God. It is always the special place to draw near to God. You will never discover or minister in the calling God has given you without drawing near to God. That's where the anointing comes from. That's where the revelation comes from in your life. So draw near to God. Let me give you the second. Discover and develop your gifts. Discover and develop your gifts. Later today, I want you to read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But we're going to read verses 14 through 18. But read the whole chapter. It's really interesting by what I'm teaching on now. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. 
If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not Pastor Gary or Pastor Terry or any other leader in the body of Christ, I added that, that's not in the Bible, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, now, Pastor Gary, just walking around as an eyeball, that's pretty stupid, isn't it? No, it's not, because you need to understand what he's trying to say. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body hearing, where would be the smelling? Where would be the ears? Where would be the nose? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. That scripture is telling us all the members, all of you, are important to the kingdom of God. What you are, what your call is, what your gifts are, are vital for the health of the church. It goes on to say, uh, the ones you can't see are the most important in the chapter. So read it later. The ones you really can't see are the ones that are important. Let me tell you, if, if you cut open your chest and your heart's not there, let me tell you, you're not going to be breathing. So let me paraphrase. The ones who stand on the platform are not the most important. He is using the physical body as an explanation and says the organs are real important too that you can't see. You who don't stand on the platform are just as important as I am. Let me say it this way. We saw it here on the platform. We have some really important people in the children's ministry right now teaching our children. We don't see them doing it. They don't get trophies. You know, not everybody gets a trophy. They don't get a certificate that we prayed them up here because they know their call and they're committed to it and they're over there teaching our children. Sunday night, they're over there teaching our children and teaching our youth and allowing them to realize their identity so that they can move into a realm of success in their life. That's important. Romans 12, verse 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 6, very important. Having then gifts differing according to the grace, the gift of God, that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. And it goes on in, in the different manifestations of spiritual gifts. So let us use them or let us discuss them and discover them. Let's talk about them and develop them. And it takes time. So what we're learning is we must draw near to God, and we must discover and grow our giftings, being humble 
and honoring to one another. Gifts differing and in different categories of growth. And so if someone comes in and they fall flat on their face, then because of of my maturity, I go and I grab them by the hand and I pick them up and I say, it's okay, let me help you. Because I honor you, I love you, I care for you. You're important to me. You're just as important than anybody that stands on this platform. So can I ask you, do you know what your gifts are? We can help you here find them. That's what all the classes and the meetings and, and everything that we do, the barbecue with the men, the ladies, they're meeting on Tuesday morning, Tuesday night. The seniors are meeting in their Bible study, the children, the youth. We're helping people discover their identity in Jesus Christ. So if you do, are you looking at the manual, which is the Bible, and developing them? Or are you sitting, I used to say, are, or are you sitting in your pew, <laughs> or are you just sitting in your seat and just letting other people do it? Just you with a smile on your face can change the world. It's as simple as that in the kingdom of God because it's the power and anointing behind it that changes lives. If I ever would think that my gifting and who I am and my character and my personality is just, if you didn't have me, you couldn't get there. That is so much pride. But I tell you what, I'm going to do everything. I'm committed to my call. There's commitment to me to study the Word, to read books, to, to do everything I can to take care of myself physically so that I can teach you the Word of God and give you everything God has given me. And then it's the Holy Spirit's the one that makes it happen, not me. I can't change your life in the areas that you think only God can change your life. But I can help you find the one who does. And his name is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the third. And we'll close with the third one. Do something. But, Pastor, I get nervous. Do it anyways. But, Pastor, I don't feel right about it. Do it. I'm giving you three things regarding a commitment to your calling, but these three line up with last week's message. So let me show you how they line up. First, today, draw near to God. Last week, we talked about knowing God. The second, discover and develop your gifts. Last week, we talked about, remember, growing. Third, do something. Last week, we talked about sweating. No, we didn't talk about sweating. We talked about glowing. Allowing that light shining in our life. So this is so important. When you start doing something, let me tell you this. You may and probably won't start in what you're called to do. 
I want to say that a little bit different because I want you to get it. No one starts at the top of their call. They, most instances start at the bottom rung of the ladder. In other words, if you believe you're called to preach, I said draw near to God, develop your gifts and grow in it, then you do something. Don't send me an email saying this to me. Pastor Gary, I had a quiet time and God gave me a word. Next Sunday, I'll replace you and teach the word of God for you. Uh, no. The Bible says don't lay hands on anyone suddenly. It's not talking about just wait a minute and punch them. It's talking about don't release them into their call in the order of the church until there's been discipleship and growing in their life. You follow that? Man, I'll tell you what, when I first got born again, I'm really born again, revelation of it, all the above. I cut the lawn, I painted the church, I, I fixed things, I, you know, whatever needed, I'd get there early on Sunday, I'd walk around and pick up paper and whatever, because it was a smaller church and they didn't have a maintenance guy, so I just became the maintenance guy. I, I worked for AAA Insurance Company and had a good job and good pay, and so they had what was called years ago, some of you may have had this, it was called bank time. I talked about this a few years ago, and bank time was you got 40 hours of bank time. If you, you could take it off, total of 40 hours during the year, or if you didn't, you'd bank it and get paid for it in January of the following year. So I used to do that because my nickname is Miser, okay? And, and the reality, I always like, I was cheap. I didn't spend a lot of money. And, and so, but what I did after I became born again, I understood about giving and all the above. And I just, I just realized, hey, I got these 40 hours that I could take off and I can go to the church and just do things at the church. And you know, God blessed me. By the time I went to Bible college, I had enough money in the bank to pay for four years of school. And then I went ahead and got a, a job because I, I was more of an athlete than a student. And so I know there are people that would stay in the dorm and they'd study for 10 hours. I'd study for an hour. Okay? And then I'd go out and play catch or go running or do something, go work out, go play golf and, and do this. But I knew I just couldn't sit around, so I went and got a job. God honored me because of that lifestyle I'm talking to you about. And because of that, I, I was making top money working for Veltman Terminal. It's a, a warehouse for J.C. Penney's years ago. And I worked there, and, and just because of that money coming in, then I was able to help a friend of mine who was in school. Some major stuff happened in his family. All these things happened, so I went ahead and paid a year of his school. And today, he's still in ministry, serving Jesus Christ. I'm just like you. I'm not, nothing different than you. Elisha in the Bible, do you know where he started? And 2 Kings 3.11 says, But Jehoshaphat said, 
Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here, who poured water on the hands of the prophet Elijah. So when Elijah said, hey, I would like to wash my hands, Elisha would bring the pitcher and pour the water for Elijah to wash his hands. Now remember in the Bible, we find that Elisha, who was under Elijah and served Elijah in his ministry, had twice as many miracles as Elijah. Why? Because he served, humbled, and honored the man of God and did what it took to do the work of ministry, and he was committed to it. And so he didn't start there, this powerful prophet. He started as a water boy. And if you're a water boy today, I'm not making fun of that. Uh, let me tell you, water boys, Elisha did it, and look where he ended up. Look where you could end up. Amen. Kind of reminds me of the story in Notre Dame uh, of Rudy, the football player. If you haven't seen that, you need to see that movie. It's great. Do you know where Paul started, who wrote a third of the New Testament? Acts 11 says, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Saul is Paul. So his first assignment was to carry a bag of money and deliver it from one city to the other. In other words, he carried the offering. And then later on he became a great apostle. Moved, he was committed to serve wherever it took. By the way, if you can't handle God's money, then you won't be able to handle God's ministry. Did you know the first place I ever preached? I did say something about five years ago about this. I preached, listen to this. This is gonna just make you feel better about me. I preached at the Hilton Convalescent Home in Ferndale, Michigan a convalescent home. And my first Bible study had the average of 45 attendees. Finally, after two years, I set a record in that ministry. So let me tell you, three people stayed awake through the whole message. <laughs> you ever done that, convalescent home? You get up there, hi, everybody, and they go, and then you start talking and... For two years, I did that before I went to Bible college. And I loved every one of them. I touched everyone on the shoulder. Back when you could touch people. And I ministered to their lives. And I watched sometimes when parents, uh, not parents, but children would come in and grandchildren would come in 
and I'd meet them. And I'd get to know their names and I'd write it down and I'd come back and, and I'd talk to the seniors and I'd say, well, how is your grandson Rick doing today? And they go, you know my grandson? You know, they, they didn't remember that they were there the week before. But I was committed to it. I missed one Sunday in two years because my grandmother was ill. One Sunday. I was committed. I would go on vacation and drive back because vacation back then in Michigan, there was a bunch of stuff all over to go to. Lakes, rivers, you name it. So we always stayed in Michigan. So I would drive back from the campsite early Sunday morning, get to the convalescent home, put on a suit and preach, and then get back in my clothes for camping and drive back two hours, three hours up north. Why is that? Because I loved them. I was committed to what I knew God asked me to do. I didn't start preaching here. I developed my gift. And you should be really glad and rejoice that I have developed my gift. Because I remember my preaching as a youth pastor. Oh, I burned all those cassettes. Back then it was cassettes. So we need to draw near to God. We need to develop and discover our gifts. And then we need to do something even if it's not the finality of what you're supposed to do. When you're at the women's event, ask if you can help. Or don't ask if everything's taken care of, but when you walk in, you see a piece of paper on the floor, pick it up. Encourage Dr. Mila as she's about to teach the Word of God. Tell her you so appreciate her commitment to her call. Appreciate the sister you're sitting next to in the Bible study. Give them a hug. Men, the barbecue, our guys are awesome, the leaders of men's ministries. And they know how to cook. But that's a gift in their life. Honor them. Love one another. Be in unity with one another. Scripture says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. In other words, here's God presenting himself to us, but where you begin to connect is when you present yourself to him. Let me read the last verse. I was just going to read the first part because it's really a pat on the back and encouraging, but let me read the whole scripture. James 4.8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, I'm not double-minded in my call. I love the church because I've drawn near to God. I've developed my gifts, discovered and developed, and guess what? I'm still growing. But now, 
I'm standing here and saying to you, it's such a joy and such peace in the midst of chaos in our world, sometimes even chaos in a church, to know that you are an amazing group of people, that you have so many things in you that still hasn't been discovered, that still hasn't been developed. But that's why in every area of our church, everything is about the Word of God and the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you and prayer and prayer for the sick. And we believe the Word of God, the whole Word. But here's how it functions in Valley Community Church. We do it together. And when we're committed to one another, to God, to one another, and to what God's given us, there's nothing we can't do. Amen? There's nothing we can't do. The transformation in your lives, in the church's life, in your home, in your business, in your jobs, will happen because you become that light. Let's all stand.